0: It's been a colossal week in the world of movie trivia showdown we had a massive showdown throwdown that saw John the Outlaw Roka take on Ethan Irwin. Final exam take on Deep 13. And don't think we forgot, there was a massive Inner geekdom tournament final that feels like it was an eternity to go, but was actually this week as well. Hello and welcome to Repeat the Question. I'm David Sackrider, and this is your one-stop shop for everything related to the world of the movie Trivia Schmodown. We're going to kick things off first, as we always do with the first match of the week, given that there, were, there was no uh, major news this past week. So we're going to start things off with that... Uh, blockbuster intergeekdom tournament final that saw chance ellison take on mike the killer kalinowski it's corruption taking on corruption and you know starting with the promo like we always do the one thing i really liked this week uh was seeing the history we see i think that that's a a big theme out of uh, the match we're going to talk about to, to start this in in this uh, Kalinowski-Ellison match, but also in the Roca irwin match later, um, it kind of comes back. But really seeing Kalinowski's kind of growth uh, with Corruption and him embracing Chance and then uh, Chance going on to be a star as well was, was really awesome to see in this promo. I will say that, like... As a league historian, as somebody who's a, a big fan of the league and has been for a long time, it's always nice to relive those moments, and especially was in this match. As we get into the actual match itself, started off in round one, Chance Ellison jumped out to an 8-7 lead. Um, 8-7 is not the type of score I think we would have thought we were getting out of a uh, an Intergeekdom tournament um, final just with the caliber of play both these players have had to this point but let's be honest they were some really tough intergeekdom questions uh in that first round so you know neither competitor was going to get out of this one easy as they had to round 2 Chance Ellison spins first, he ends up on DC movies, goes 5 of 5 for 8 points, only has to check to multiple choice twice. Then Kalinowski steps up to the plate and spins MCU and goes 4 of 5 for 7 points, giving up a 2 point steal to Chance Ellison. So Ellison remains in the lead, 17 to 15, heading into the betting round. The betting round, Chance spins uh, Star Trek, well... Let me rephrase that. First, he spins opponent's choice, which leads to him spinning Star Trek. So Kalinowski bets it all, picks up three points, and Ellison only bets one to make the score tied at 18 to 18 heading into the speed round. And this is where Mike Kalinowski really started to show that he's a championship level competitor. Because in the speed round, Ellison goes first. He goes six of eight for four, for only four points, uh, missing the two points two questions obviously deducted from his score and then Kalinowski goes to a whopping nine of 10 for eight points to bring him into the lead 25 to 22. And at this point in the match, I got to say, I really thought that Kalinowski was going to take it. I thought that he, the momentum was in his favor. I thought that, that, uh, he was going to do it. So, uh, Props to Chance Ellison, who goes on into round five. They bounce back and forth on their two and their three, but Ellison's able to hit his five, and Kalinowski isn't. So that's ultimately the match. It's a 33-30 Chance Ellison win. As Ellison moves on to play it Spectacular. It's a long time to wait for him, but he's got a singles tournament to prepare for, so um, nothing to be upset about with the win, I'm sure corruption's happy to get it. And, uh, you know, there are a number of things to analyze in this match and getting through them one by one. The first thing I want to talk about is, uh, the five point question. I honestly feel like in my personal opinion, Mike Kalinowski's five point question was much more difficult than Chance Allison's five point question. That's my personal opinion. And, you know, I have a comic book background. I like the Lord of the Rings films fine, but I don't have that same kind of, uh, fascination that, uh, other people have. It's just not something that I'm like an Uber fan of. I read the books when I was in middle school. I've seen the movies multiple times, but they just don't click in the same way for me. Um, so for me, life foundation was an immediate pull. Um, whereas, uh, I I never would have gotten to the Brandywine River. And I think that, you know, Life Foundation, which is the major antagonist of Venom, is a much easier get than a random river in uh, The Lord of the Rings. That's just, that's, if I'm looking at it from that perspective, that's how I, I feel about this question. But then again, you know, this is the game. Um... I'm not going to harp on the question writers for this. Like, you know, um, I will say that maybe life foundation was a little bit too easy, but ultimately like it's a, it's a game of risk you might spin an easy question this time. And then two matches from now, you spin the hardest question of your life. So, um, you know, no fault to anybody. That's, that's the game we play. There's, there's risk involved. There's an element of chance. And in this case, chance went in the way of his, of the namesake. It went in the way of chance. So, uh, you know, that's how it goes. That's how the cookie crumbles. Unfortunately for Mike Kalinowski, he doesn't get uh Kalinowski-Smets 3, which, look, I personally was looking forward to, but um, he does get to see his protege kind of move on here and and continue to guide him uh maybe to an Intergeeked Championship. We'll see. But ultimately, it's it's hard to say because if we look back at Chance Ellison, um, I'm not sure he showed... That He played well enough in this match And I, I'd be saying the same thing about Mike Kalinowski If he had pulled his 5 and 1 um, I don't think that He showed enough to beat Smets at the level of, of Competitor we're getting out of Smets Smets talks about his his Crazy training and obviously we're going to Get a better look at him this upcoming week when he Plays against Chandra Donophani But uh if, if Ellison is paying playing Smets in Uh in the winter, at snowed spectacular. Then I think he's he's gonna really have a tough time. And look, you know, Ellison thrives when he's the underdog. So maybe he'll be able to pull it out. We'll see. Yeah, uh, who knows what's in the cards for him. Ultimately, though, I mean, I had a lot of trouble getting into this match. Um, like it's it's got everything you want. It's it's a close match. Um, you know competitors aren't getting everything right, which honestly, sometimes, you know, having that drama of, of you know, who's going to take the next question can be nice, you know, having that, holy crap, he rallied from a three-point deficit or whatever is, is to me, more fun than uh, a match where everybody gets every question right, but honestly, I felt like there were no stakes to this one. Uh, I would have liked to see, I think, either Kalinowski or Allison come into this match with you know, maybe more of a chip on their shoulder or something, or maybe started a storyline where uh corruption's gonna break up, but I feel like they were too chummy with each other. Uh this just felt like a training match. It didn't feel like a uh you know, a high caliber, high stakes uh tournament final. And that's that doesn't take away from their game play or anything, just in the actual you know, it kinda fell flat for me. And I you know, I get that I might be in the minority on that, but uh if you compare this match to the two other matches we had this week it just didn't feel like it had the same oomph and i i i don't i don't know what you can say other than i would have liked to see you know maybe chance or or mike or somebody come in with a little bit more of an edge uh, a little bit more of maybe even more of a drive. Uh, I would have liked to say, see Mike Kalinowski come in here and say, I want to play Kevin Smets again, and I'm going to do anything in my power to have that happen. And like, actually say that, not just like maybe think it or, um, say like, Hey, I'd like to play Smets down the line. I think that if, if Mike Kalinowski had come in and actually said that I would have been a lot more invested. Or if Chance Ellison had said, I want to have an intergeekdom title and not just been like, this is Mike's league, but I'm, going to do my best. You know, I don't know. There was, there's just something missing from this match. And I think that part of it comes back to the fact that it's, it's a faction on faction match and you know, that poses some problems. Um, the other problem I felt like, and this is, these are like nitpicky problems. It's not like I'm like, this was a complete waste of time. Why did I watch this match? You know, it was it was entertaining enough, but I would have liked a little bit more out of it, I think is all I'm saying. But the other, like, little nitpicky problem I have is I'm not sure that I'm really all, all fully on board on, uh, on managers managing both competitors. I know that they have that ability in this digital arena because they can talk to both um competitor separately they have separate time for each competitor but here's the problem I have with it everybody has their own unconscious biases um, in this case there's there's one that uh, that I think would have been a, a more more of a conflict of interest that uh you know Shannon and Mike are an item and so she would be more invested to see him win but look, this is not – I'm I'm not using this t- talking point as a slight on Shannon because I thought she actually was able to do it expertly. Um, and really what she does to do it is just basically lets the competitor talk it out and, and just ask, acts as a sounding board for them. Um, but a less skilled manager, I think, might let into that bias. They might accidentally give something away of what to – the, uh, the opponent is studying or thinking or what their strategy is for the match. And so much of strategy is, you know, what you're going to put on the wheel, what the opponent is, is going to, um, spin, what you think they w- are going to spin versus what they actually want to spin on the wheel. Um, those are all big things. And rather than have somebody who knows both of those those strategies, I think it would have been better served if there were separate managers for both teams. You know, if if Laura Kelly or somebody had stepped up to manage Chance or or vice versa, um, just so that like you know, like Ben Bateman and Dan Merle did, they can go study in their separate corners with their separate faction mates, and we don't run into a problem where um, one person is getting a slight advantage in the strategy department, um, over another. I think there's just too much inside information on both competitors. I don't think that, I don't think anybody would do a very good job with that, with that much information. I think everybody's prone to slip ups and luckily in this match, Shannon, um, handles it well, but in the future, I don't think I'd like to see, uh, this happen in the same way. So that was the Intergeekdom title match. Uh, you know, again, as we transition here, I just want to give major props to Chance Ellison. If I haven't said it enough, you know, he got through Robert Parker, and I think I said at the, you know, the beginning of the Intergeekdom tournament, whoever beats Robert Parker is going to win the whole thing. And you know, in my head, it was going to be Alex Damon beating at Robert Parker, but it was it turned out to be Chance Ellison, and Ellison went on, you know, a crazy run. I don't think many expected him to to win the whole thing. So, so major props to him, you know, all the kudos in the world. I'm just, you know, he's going to have to put in a lot of work, I think to beat Smets and, you know, upside for him is he knows what Smets is, you know, Kalinowski's beaten Smets. They, they have played each other a couple of times. So, so he's got people in his corner who know Smets in and out, um, so at the end of the day, he knows what he has to, get, he has to fight for. He knows what he has to, to, to study for. He knows, he knows what he's up against. And um, if it's not Smets, you know, I'm kind of counting Chandru out here. But if it's Chandru, there's a whole different set of things on the table. But assuming it's Smets, he's got work to put in but time to put it in. So um, who knows? Maybe he can prove everybody wrong. We'll see. We're going to move into the uh, showdown throwdown matches now. Obviously, we're going to break down those matches in full. I know they haven't released to the public yet, but look, uh, whether it's social media or it's here on the show or or on the website, we are treating, um, repeat the question, as if it is a sports news outlet. So that means that things are going to get spoiled as soon as they happen, because that's how sports news works. So you know, know that going in, if, if we're talking about a Shmodown throwdown match upcoming, then, then we're just going to talk about the Shmodown throwdown match. The stuff that's going in the ticker is, is going to be, um, you know, match results. We'll post articles and, and things that are match recaps and, and stats graphics and and score graphics and all of those things. So, you know, this is my kind of major warning to say, I'm going to spoil stuff because to me, I've never really had a problem with spoilers. Um, I don't really care what happens. It's more so how it happens. And, um, if we're treating this like a sports league and I'm treating myself as a sports, uh, sports news outlet, then those things that apply to other sports are going to apply to this. So with all of that out of the way, let's move, let's actually move into uh the Schmodown throwdown match, the, the undercard itself. We're talking final exam taking on deep 13. Um talk about the promos first, as we generally do. Um the one thing that sticks out to me if we're if we're analyzing the promo for this match, Lon Harris may have the best character in the league right now. I'm not sure who could beat him out, truthfully. Um, he's got that full devotion to the character. He doesn't break, similar to a video Drew or um even like Matt Atchety and Grey Drake during that Modoc match. But the difference is, and not to say that video Drew does this, but Matt Atchety definitely did, um, he doesn't let the character get in the way of his performance, you know he's able to blend the two very well where he's still able to perform at a high caliber, but also have a really strong character. And I think that's super important. Um, I don't think that you should be in the showdown and I've heard this take before. So I know I'm not the only one with this opinion, but I don't think you should be in the showdown. If you don't have a character, I don't think that you should just be hi, I'm Mr. No it all. Here's, here's what I know. Um, at least if you're entering now, you know, if you've entered in within the last year or whatever, this is what makes the showdown great is all the character stuff. And Lon really gets that and he executes it to, uh, what I think is perfection. So in round one, um, just as a heads up, still pay-per-view match. So we don't have highlights for this match. Um, yet, if you want to see what happens, watch the match. Um, But as far as breaking it down goes in round one, final exam jumped out to an early 14-13 lead. Uh, Yama almost had the perfect round one, just couldn't quite swing the last question. And so they've only got a one point lead heading into round two. Then final exam decides to defer to their opponents. So, Deep 13 spins first. They spin Festival Darlings. That's a strength of theirs. Uh, No surprise after watching how they played against Tom and Paul. So, they go 6 of 6 for only 11 points. They have to check to multiple choice once. So, that opens up the door. And Final Exam capitalizes. They spin Spinner's Choice. They go perfect in Adam Sandler movies uh, to widen that gap a little bit and set the score at 26 to 24. So then in round three, uh, Deep 13 obviously has to answer their questions first. Withy Seibold misses his two, but Alonzo Giraldi is able to hit his three to bounce it back to final exam. Lon Harris answers the two and knocks it down uh, to send it back to Deep 13 to hit their five. They are able to hit their five. And so now the ball is back in final exam's court. Oyama misses the three and is able to save enough JTE rules so that they're able to get through to confidently answer the five-point question correctly to bring this to the final score of 33-32 in favor of final exam. This was the first teams match um, that we've seen Digitally. And as a fan, as an analyst, um, I, I liked it. I liked being able to hear in on the conversations as they try to reason their way to an answer. I liked um, I liked seeing those things. I liked hearing those conversations, um, whether it was in the third round with that final question for a final exam or if it was um, anywhere else in the match, really. Um, I did like seeing that as a fan. The part that worries me is for the strategy implications. So if I'm looking at this, like, my analyst brain is like, I like to see that because it gives me more knowledge about the competitors. But the other side of my analyst brain is like, I don't like to see that because it gives other competitors more knowledge about that team. You You know what I'm trying to say? Like, I don't want... I don't want final exam to go up to the wheel and be like... Well, we should probably go with the two things we put on the wheel, Adam Sandler and, you know, whatever the second one was. And and the next time they go up to play, let's say the pride, the pride has studied Adam Sandler movies because they and whatever that other category is because they figure that final exam is going to be strong in that. I feel like that is a a disadvantage that wouldn't normally be afforded in a team's match, and I don't think that that's really fair. So the the solution to that because I think that um, the Schmodown's gone out of its way to kind of figure out how you can you can solve this problem of having teams matches. The way you solve that is that you you got to start speaking in code if you're teams. Uh, ben Bateman kind of brought this up on on the uh, on Schmodown backstage yesterday, but ultimately, I you know, you think about um, pitchers and their signs, for, for what they're going to throw in baseball or, you know, even football teams, when they call an audible, everybody's speaking in some form of code. And I think that unfortunately, you know, Schmodan players are going to have to do that too. They're going to have to be like, look, if I say a, I'm really thinking D, if I say C, I'm really thinking B, you know, and so on and so forth so that, uh, they can mix it up and, and mix up their signals if they need to. Um, so that they can be on the same page, but, um, but talking about things and and in a way that doesn't disclose disclose information to other people, and even that could be a problem because you know you see a sign enough times, eventually somebody's gonna be able to crack the code. It's not like somebody, not like they're really uh, putting together, you know, all that difficult code work here. But even still, um. I don't know what they're going to do, you know, but I think the teams have to adapt because the schmodown's done everything they can, uh, to figure out how to, to make teams a possibility. So now it's on the teams, ter- it's on the team's side to figure things out, um, in order to protect their, their team secrets. And then the other thing in this match, you know, I got to commend Paulo Yama. <laughs> um, he's just got this, this crazy mind for the game. And, and the only competitor I can liken him to is like a Ben Bateman. But I, I think that in time we're going to find out that Paul Yama is really just on his own, own playing field altogether. Um, you know, he chooses to spin Adam Sandler because it hasn't been spun much. It's only been spun like once before. So he knows the questions aren't going to be very deep. Like that's expert level thinking and also choosing to intentionally miss the five or intentionally not use repeats on his three point questions so that he can save JTE rules for the five point question is incredibly smart and and, um, very forward thinking in a way that I think most competitors wouldn't. Um, I think most competitors would be selfish and just try to get the points, but, Oyama as the competitor can recognize that um that they were down, you know, four points. So hitting the three-pointer wasn't going to do anything. At that point, they needed uh the five regardless. So what's the point in picking up those points? And, you know, realistically, watching him in this match, and we'll get another look at him next week, but it's reaffirmed for me that Pauloyama is in a good position to make a really strong run in the singles tournament if you'll remember i picked him to win the whole thing so i think that uh watching his play in this match is really said uh this guy's on another level and i wouldn't sleep on him i wouldn't wouldn't forget about him in the mix of everything else because you know i think he's a high caliber player and and people that that um aren't on that same page will be very soon i i really think that you know um, I think a lot of people look at his his loss at spectacular and want to call it a fluke, but I I've I've seen great things before that, and I've seen great things after that. And you know, the more we see this guy, the more I think that he's not just the real deal, but he, um, you know, could be one of the top level talents in the league. So now we'll move on to the final match, in my opinion, uh, the best match of the week, which is crazy, especially you know, with those last two matches, and the way they went. Um, we're talking Ethan Irwin taking on John Roca, uh, the outlaw versus big time here. And as we open with the promos, you know seeing uh, Roca's legacy in the league was really cool. Um, I really appreciated that again, as a fan of the league, it's something we saw with the Kalinowski, um, Ellison promo earlier in, um, in the week that I really appreciated. Um, not very much leaning heavy on Ethan's part, but at the same time, I liked it nonetheless. Um, just seeing those big, Roca moments was huge, and I think it would have been better um, to see him take on Dan Burrell again, and, and to get the kind of promo we would get out of that, but unfortunately that wasn't in the cards as we get into round one, it was tied at the end of round one, 7 to 7, and this was a basically a tie game the whole time Ethan Irwin goes first in round two after Roca to first, he spins Spinner's Choice goes perfect in Catherine Bigelow Uh, We'll talk about the controversy in that category uh, at the end of the match. After I, I get through the breakdown, I mean. So then, Roka goes in round two. He's perfect in 90s to make the score tied at 15 apiece. In round three, they both hit their two and their three, but are unable to pull their five. So that makes it tied 20 apiece, which means we're heading into sudden death overtime because it's tied at the end of regulation and in sudden death took 3 questions but eventually Roca wasn't able to pull it in time and so Ethan Irwin gets the 23-22 win over Roca. Irwin is Roca's white whale in in some aspects because you know Roca just hasn't been able to beat him. uh each time they play, he gets closer and closer. This time, obviously, uh, the closest they've been, but just not quite able to do it. Eventually, he's going to get it. Um, I thought it was going to be this match, but... Um, you know, Roka can't pull that last question in time. And I think every fan, uh, is, is sitting there thinking, Oh my God, he's pulling a Jane Fonda again. And I know this has been belabored to death, but it's like, if you played those two moments back to back, it's like literally word for word. He's like, I don't know if you can accept this, uh, try to write it as fast as I can. And then even looking at it, I think you can kind of make out Sid Pollock and maybe if they had challenged it, they probably wouldn't have gotten it, but at least they could have I don't know, burn the challenge just to try, but uh, tough break for Roca. Um, you could see he took it hard in the post-match and look, it doesn't make it any easier that there were some, uh, missed opportunities in the match. And that's the perfect time to actually get into, to Roka's challenge, uh, a little bit. Um, he challenges Ethan Irwin's first question. Irwin answers the 60s uh, when talking about uh, the riots in Detroit. And Ellis kind of assumes he means 1960s and even says that. And look, if Ellis says, doesn't say that and they just accept it, probably doesn't challenge it. But the fact that Ellis drew attention to it um, is part of the problem. And and this is no like slander towards Mark Ellis, but even if he had said something to the effect of um, "Can you clarify your answer?" or, or um, something to that effect, um, it wouldn't have been as big of a deal. But you know, in these types of matches, in in high level matches against the top contenders in the league, your Bibianis, your Irwins, your Merles, your Batemans, against those level guys, you got to take every advantage you can get. And in this case, uh, Roka thought maybe he might be able to get a point off of, off of Irwin or, or something that might give him the advantage. If, um, I think they followed precedent for this, this challenge. So this wouldn't have happened regardless, but let's say they just mark Ethan wrong and, and Roka gets an extra question to steal. Well, that makes the difference in this match. It's a completely different ball game. So, you know, Roka's challenge was a good one. Yes, it's semantics, but sometimes you got to take semantics to hope that you can, you know, throw the other competitor off or, or just try to get every point available. And then there's the other thing. So Ethan Irwin gets a question about, um, it's about Jeremy Renner's character's rank in the Hurt Locker. He answers sergeant, which is marked correct. And, and nobody challenges this. I should preface this discussion by saying nobody challenges it. So bottom line is it doesn't matter because nobody challenges it. But there was some discussion about it after the fact, and I think that it should be um, should be talked about. So let's break it down. I pulled an image from the film. From the Hurt Locker, Uh, Jeremy Renner is seen there in his uh, army uniform. And you can see that he has a a logo on or the symbol on his uniform in multiple places, one on his hat and one in the middle of his uh, uh, jacket um, shirt. That logo is the logo of somebody who is a sergeant first class. He's listed on Wikipedia as a sergeant first class. I think he's even listed on the DVD um, synopsis as a sergeant first class, which is a different, as anybody in the military will tell you, and I didn't know this beforehand, but I do know this now, um, they're very different ranks. And the other thing is, as as you'll see kind of off to the side there, is, is Wikipedia and IMDb list it as two different ranks. So what does this mean, is what you're asking. It's, it's, I mean, that's ultimately, what what does this come down to? I think that this is the most difficult question asked in a non intergeekdom or Star Wars match. Because what this requires of you, it requires you to know military ranks. And not just like, you know, your basic ones like private and sergeant and general and colonel and those sorts of things. It requires you to know that there's a distinction between sergeant and sergeant first class and uh, staff sergeant, all those things. It requires you to know that there's a distinction among all of those. And, and look, he's never actually called sergeant first class in the film. He's only referred to as sergeant, but this question isn't about what people call him. It's about rank And you can see based on his uniform that he is a sergeant first class. And also what I've been told I'm not in the military uh, or I've, uh, yes, I'm not in the military, but also I uh, don't have close family members who um, were in the military. So I can't speak to the fact of if this is true, but what I've heard said from other people is that um, sometimes you'll shorten sergeant first class to sergeant, uh, when referring to somebody else. So this question isn't about what does, what do they call him? It's about his rank and you determine his rank based on what he's wearing on his clothes. But that is such a minute detail that that's the type of thing that we might see expected to be asked in an intergeekdom or a star Wars match, but definitely not a singles match. You can get that from the film, but you have to have some outside knowledge and, and a number of other things in order to understand this question, and then you've got to pull it in 15 seconds. This feels like an impossible question. And Ethan pulls Sergeant and ultimately Sergeant is incorrect. That much is clear. I think. Um, and it doesn't matter. Roca doesn't challenge it, but if he does, he wins the match, you know? And, and that's got a sting at the end of the day is that he was wrong. And that, to some degree the question writers were wrong and I'm not going to give them a whole lot of flack. That's not what this show is. You know, (sighs) they're going to be wrong. Sometimes that's what the challenge is for. You know, things are, are going to be incorrect and, and you know, it's up to the competitor to recognize that in this case, Roka didn't, but there also has to be some, um, some credence lent to the fact that, that this question was incorrect and not just Ethan's answer was incorrect, but the fact that it was, was marked correct is incorrect. And, you know, we talked about some of the issues, uh, in that, that barbarian match a few weeks ago where he lost a chance. Allison, um, off, off of, um, some inconsistencies in questions. Like this is why, there needs to be an editor in that room. And I'm not saying there isn't, I I've never been in the room, so I can't, um, clarify, but you know, at the end of the day, this cost broke of the match. And, you know, that's frustrating for him as a competitor. It's frustrating for me as a fan of him, but also who's at fault here? Because, you could say that the writers share some fault because they had the question the question was wrong. you know. You could say that um, Roca shares some fault and I would actually argue he shares a majority of the fault because he didn't recognize it. You could say that Bobby Gucci shares some fault because he didn't recognize it either, um, even though we know that that's not the type of manager he is. So ultimately everybody's at fault. You know, it's it's some degree, everybody's at fault and, you know, you can get all upset about this question all you want, but, you know, I would say nobody handled it correctly and it's fun, you know, to debate about. And, you know, I like matches with controversy. It gives something to talk about, but, you know, as an analyst, I like having stuff on the show to talk about, but as as a fan, it's kind of like, did we need to go through all this hoopla because it ultimately doesn't matter. And I'm sure John Roca will be the first to tell you that if he had hit his five pointer or if he had hit, uh, that Boris Karloff question in, in round one, um, this is a moot point. He wins the match. Um, but ultimately you never let it be close enough so that the official or the question writers in this case decide the match. Um, and in this case, it was close enough, and they did decide the match. And, you know, it is what it is. The, you can't go back and replay it now. Um, so this is how it is. But for the sake of the conversation, they're not the same, and, and that is an issue, uh, regardless of the fact that Roka should have recognized that they were not the same. And I don't know, you know, another thing to add as this is just kind of coming to me is I don't know how familiar Roka is with the Hurt Locker. So he might not have even known that just because he wasn't as familiar with the film. Not saying that he hasn't seen it or anything like that, but he just might not have known, you know, the actual answer himself to be able to make that challenge. You know, there's a number of things at play here that influence why this whole thing gets bungled. And ultimately it's a conversation after the fact this wasn't even brought up really during the match until the post match. So, you know, we can have our debates about it. We can talk about it, but it doesn't really matter. So yeah, hard to get out of that one. Um, the one thing I will say is that I'm really looking forward to Merle versus Irwin three. Uh, I think it should be a bloodbath uh, Dan Merle's going to have to be at the top of his game. He had to play a perfect game to beat Irwin uh, the last time. And it might take just as much this time. So we'll see. I think it should be a really fun, entertaining match. Um, I'm really excited for it. But that brings us to the end of the week. And with the end of the week comes... The standings update. So let's take a look at those faction standings as they sit right now. Not much has changed. Uh, They stay mostly the same. The Usual Suspects jumps out of the gutter into second to last place uh, with um, Ethan Irwin's win. And, you know, that's excellent for them. As we look ahead to the uh, next few upcoming weeks, Swag has the opportunity to pick up a lot of points. Um, They've got uh, Chandrew's title match. They've got final exam playing in that same card. And they've also got a play in match for Frank Moran that could ultimately mean um, that they could jump into first place. You know, uh, they're sitting at 24 points, five points behind the exchanges, uh, 29. If they're able to get all of those, they could jump into first place, which is massive. If you look at some of the other teams involved over the course of this next week, uh, the Dungeon obviously needs a win from Spets, but also they've got uh, Andres Gallego playing. They need a win from him to stay alive and kind of fight back into contention. Uh, they're sitting near the bottom of the pack at 3-8 and eight on the season which isn't great. So they've got to do what they can. Uh, Collins win will tie corruption and the exchange, which is massive because, you know, if swag's able to overtake the exchange, it'll be the first time that somebody's held first place other than the Finstock exchange. But a tie would be just as crazy too. And then obviously the den, uh, need James white to get a win in the play in match to kind of work back into title contention to work back into faction title contention especially um, because they're sitting at that 15 points after getting knocked out of the Star Wars and Intergeekdom tournaments early. Uh, they need wins and and between White and also the Pride who plays in that throwdown undercard uh, this Friday they need wins from both of them. so that'll do it for this week's episode of repeat the question i'd like to thank everyone for tuning in be sure to check out rtqpodcast.com that's our website it's got everything pertaining to the showdown you can check out check that for new episodes for upcoming matches match recaps um, editorial articles you name it uh, trying to keep that up to date as much as possible so be sure to check that out in addition, be sure to follow us on our socials at RTQ Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I'm trying to run that like an ESPN style sports news outlet. So um, expect more work on that to try to get that up to date with um, stats graphics and score graphics uh, to really make it look more like the ESPN of the Schmodown that I want it to become. You can follow me at Twitter on Twitter at POTUS107. And uh, if you want to listen to the show on audio, we're available in podcast form. You can find us um, on Apple Podcasts. You can find us on Spotify. You can find us just about anywhere thanks to Anchor. But just know that if you're listening to the audio format of the show, you're only getting about half the show. Uh, the other half is here on, on video form. So be sure to check out YouTube.com slash David Sackrider for Um, every new episode of the show on Wednesdays at noon. So that'll do it for us here. Once again, thank you for tuning in and so long.